And before we do that, um, I just want to continue to be a church that uh, we, we've had a time of lament already, but uh, just a time specifically lamenting of what is going on in Ukraine. And so I just would love to pray for that before we uh, dig into this passage. So, Father, um, in this passage we're going to look at today, it talks about not being self-seeking. Uh, it talks about um, being people who protect, uh, who hope, who persevere. And so, Father, we pray against the self-seeking that is happening right now. And, Father, we pray a prayer of protection uh, for those who are uh, in fear, for those who are in trouble, uh, Lord, for those who have had to flee their homes. Father, would you put a roof over their head? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, it's never easy to transition from that to something else. So uh, I'm going to play a little bit of music for you this morning. Um, and just... I'm nervous about this, okay? So please be forgiving. I'm sure that you will recognize the tune once I begin to play. So it goes a little something like this. Um, so I'm sure you recognize that tune. Um, that is literally pretty much all I can play. Um, there's not much more. I can play a little bit of the theme song from Cheers, but I always mess it up, and I was embarrassed that you'd laugh at me. So, um, but that's, that's it for me as a musician. And so actually, I, you couldn't call me a musician. You're not allowed to call me a musician, because I'm not, because I can't play any more than that. Uh, I learned that. That was the last song that I was learning, uh, and I only learned the melody, and then I gave up, and I never practiced again. So that technically means I'm not a musician. Um, so I can play a few notes, but to be a musician, you have to put in the practice. Uh, and from what I understand, if you play enough, practice enough, music becomes second nature. Uh, you can sit down and begin to just play, play along with just about anything. Uh, the more that you practice, the more that it becomes part of you. So in other words, it, it becomes instinctive. It becomes natural. And what we're learning as we slowly go through 1 Corinthians 13 is that love works in the same way. That the more you put into practice self-denying love, the more it becomes part of who you are, the more natural it is to actually do that when the time comes. And what this text has been showing us is that love, this kind of self-denying sacrificial love, that is what Paul calls the most excellent way to live. Uh, one of the ways, of all the ways a person could choose to live, Paul says the most excellent way is the way of self-denying love for the sake of others. And... Uh, while that might be true, let's just take a step back from that and admit that it's hard. It's a really, really hard way to live. Uh, in fact, it's much easier to throw your hands up and say, well, I'll never live up to what the love that is talked about in 1 Corinthians 13 is. Because most of the time, I don't feel like living that way. Uh, and I get that. Me too. I don't feel that way. There are a lot of times each day that I know I should be more patient. I know I should be more kind. Uh, I know I should be less proud, I should be more forgiving, I should be more trusting and hoping and persevering. But I find myself reacting in ways opposite to this most excellent way of love. Uh, or even worse, it's not just that it's sort of instinctively I don't do that, it's that I actually don't want to. But as we'll see as we walk through these five verses, we're looking at four to seven today, there's nothing about feelings in this chapter. Everything mentioned here is to describe a behavior. And there's an implication that emerges from this passage, and it shows up all over the Bible. We've talked about it as a church uh, a lot of times before, and we'll continue to talk about it. 
What you learn from a passage like this is an implication, doesn't state it directly, but what you learn from a passage like this is it's much easier to act our way towards feeling something than to feel our way towards acting. It's a lot easier to, to just act our way into eventually feeling like doing the thing than the other way around. And so it's much easier. Feelings follow actions. And so if you wait until you feel like exercising self-denying love, you'll wait a long time. Uh, and so will the people around you who are in need of the love that you should be sharing with them. But that's not the only downside, because the, there's a personal downside to this. And what that is, is you'll never really know the joy that comes from giving out self-denying love for the sake of others. And even more than that, you'll remain stuck in your Christian maturity. So Christians who don't get this idea of self-denying love, they, they kind of grow to a certain point, and then that's it. Uh, put it another way, if you want to grow mature as a Christian, the way to do that is to learn the most excellent way of self-denying love. And so Paul says the way of self-denying love, that, that's the most excellent way to live. That, in fact, without love, we saw this last week, without love, we are nothing. And we gain nothing, and we offer nothing. And so this section of 1 Corinthians 13, it's not about feelings. It's actually about behaviors. In other words, it's about the practice of love. And so here's what we'll see. You do not become loving through observation or intellectual understanding. It doesn't happen by being like, oh, that person is really loving, and all of a sudden now I am. Or just by some intellectual understanding. You can only become loving through practice. And as we look at this passage, you'll notice there are seven positive statements about what love is and seven negative ones about what love isn't. Uh, eight, actually, negative ones. Seven descriptions of love being uh, patient and kind and rejoicing with the truth and always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering. And eight negative ones like it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not self-seeking, and so on. Uh, we'll look at these under three headings. So first we'll see what love is, then we'll see what love isn't, and then we'll answer the question, why Christian love is distinct from all other loves. So what makes Christian love distinct from all other loves? Uh, so first, what love is. Now, the other thing I want you to notice about these verses, beyond that there's positive and negative descriptions of love, is that the positive descriptions of love, they're both uh, passive and active. Meaning sometimes love means restraint. It means waiting or not speaking or not taking action. And that's the passive side of love. And then at other times, it means action. So it means showing kindness. It means giving protection. The positive side of love, uh, what love is, is both active and passive. And you'll see that in the first uh, two that Paul mentions. Uh, he says, love is patient. That's the passive one. And love is kind. That's the active one. And if I'm honest, I actually hate that these two are first. Because these two are the most difficult for me in the entire list. Uh, and the two, they actually go together because impatience almost always leads to being unkind. At least it does in my life. Um, and maybe this is a little bit too cliche, you know, because we're in L.A., but we're in L.A., so I know you're thinking it already. Traffic, am I right? <laughs> and I'm not so bothered. You might be bothered by this person. I think I might be this person. But I'm not so bothered by the person who cuts in front of you on the freeway or pulls out in front of you at an intersection I'm bothered by the people who seem to drive unnecessarily slow. Like they got in their car and they weren't sure what they were doing. And I was saying to someone the other day that I wish I had like an old school CD radio or a speaker on the outside of my car or some way to communicate with the cars in front of me so I could say to them, and I would start out very positively, you know, uh, hey, where are you going today? 
And then when they tell me, then I would aggressively say, well, why don't you go there? And I could be seen regularly in the car doing this, or this. Is that me, just me? So, thank you for that. Some of you I'd be, are the ones that I'd be yelling at over the radio. Um, now here's what studying this passage over the last few weeks has revealed to me. When I'm thinking that way, or when I'm acting that way, in the privacy of my own car, on the surface, it seems innocuous. It's not affecting anyone. They can't hear me. They probably don't see me doing this. But what I'm realizing as I study this passage is the more I practice that sort of behavior privately, the more it comes out publicly. The more I practice that sort of behavior privately, the more I actually become impatient. The more I actually become unkind. That, that actually begins to distinguish who I am. All of my behaviors, my actions, they're all working to shape me into one kind of person or another, a loving person or an unloving person. It's the same, by the way, with being a musician. The more that you practice privately, the more that private practice manifests itself publicly when you're playing in front of people. And this is why all of this matters, because the more we practice love, the more loving of a person we become. You see, this is all about who we become. And so let's look at the positive aspects of love so that we can learn to practice them. Uh, we're not gonna stop for very long at any of these, so for you note takers, get ready. Um, let's look at the passive ones first. So the first one is love is patient. And that particular word there used in the original language, it's only ever used in the New Testament for patience with people, not circumstances. So we're talking about patience with other people. And the word there, it's long suffering. It's waiting patiently without giving way to anger. And what that means is love, it, it persists, it endures, it waits, even or especially in the face of being wronged by another person. This kind of patience actually shows the strength of a person's character. And the reason it's passive is because you practice, uh, if you practice love in this way, you are restraining yourself from action. You're restraining yourself from responding in anger. You're restraining yourself from retaliation, from unkindness. So that's love is patient. Then the next one, um, passive one, down in verse seven, love always trusts. And the, the ESV or, and lots of the older translations, they actually say love believes all things. And the idea behind this one, this is also a, a struggle for me. Uh, the idea behind this one is cynicism. And what it's saying is love gives the benefit of the doubt. It believes the best about a person uh, until the person proves them wrong. And so practicing love in this way means never approaching a person believing the worst about them. Uh, one more passive one in verse 7. Love always hopes. And put this one simply, love is optimistic rather than pessimistic. Or you could say it another way, it's not fatalistic. A fatalistic person looks at the world thinking, everything is the worst and everything is doomed to fail. Uh, that's not the perspective of love. Love has an enduring hope that even in the worst of circumstances or in the worst of people, God can intervene. Now, all three of these are passive, but even in the passive ones, uh, they're actually still active uh, in a way because you're still exercising restraint. So this is something that you're doing. You're just, you're exercising restraint. It keeps you from doing something, and that's why they're passive. 
But let's look at the active ones of what love is. Uh, love is kind. Love is kind in verse 4. The third century church father Origen, he put it this way. I, lo- I love this. He says, love is sweet to all. In other words, love is not merely patient, but it manifests itself in sweet, benevolent, even generous actions toward another person. Love is kind. It, it gives. It's sweet to all. The next active one in verse 6, love rejoices with the truth. In other words, it celebrates, it congratulates, it works toward advancing the truth. And so what that means is love has no room for lying. If you lie, that's the opposite of love. Uh, Back down in verse 7, love always protects. Now, the idea of protects is of a covering or of a shelter. Think of an umbrella or a roof. An umbrella, by the way, is just a roof you carry around. I always think that's funny. Uh, I saw this photo in the news uh, yesterday. Can you put that up for me? Um, This is uh, Berliners standing in the the main train station holding up signs offering shelter for refugees coming in from Ukraine. Uh, And it wasn't just a few people. Go to the next one. It was a crowd. And the signs say things on them like, uh, one mother and two children for two weeks. They're offering shelter. I was talking to a friend of mine in Poland this week. Um, Poland borders Ukraine, if you didn't know that. And he said that they're seeing, just in their city alone, which is one of the smaller cities, thousands of refugees pouring into the country every day. And all of them, he said there are no men. No men are coming. All of them, women and children. Uh, The men are staying behind to defend their cities. But people in the surrounding countries are providing shelter. They're providing shelter. They are protecting. It's an incredible picture of the kind of love that always protects. It provides shelter to those who need it. And the final act of one, at the end of verse 7, it says, love always perseveres. Uh, The word there is endurance or fortitude. And the reason this one is in the active category and not the passive one, because you might hear that and think, well, perseverance, it just means like, you know, bedding in and, you know, hunkering down. Well, actually, the word Paul uses here um, is to conquer, it's to overcome. So love always overcomes the difficult things. And so those are the positive descriptions of love. It's patient, it's kind, it rejoices with the truth. It's always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering. And the more that we practice these behaviors, the more they become natural to us, the more they become part of who we are. Um, When I was in college, I spent a summer as a a painter, uh, not an artist painter, but a wall painter. Um, And I worked for the East Aurora School District, which probably explains my love for Wayne's World. And my job on our team, I was like, I was like, hey, I will, uh, I'll do all the trim, I'll do all, I'll do all the stuff around, uh, and you guys do the rolling. And I think it's because I got to sit on the floor half the time. But I, when I first started, I was getting paint everywhere. Just paints just slopping all over the place, and I had to put uh, tarps down and tape everything. But eventually, after practicing this for eight hours a day, five days a week, over the course of two months, by the time we got to the third month of my summer job, I was no longer taping anything down. I no longer used drop claws. I would just go in, and I could just paint a perfectly straight line along the trim and along the top of the room. Uh, and I even got so good at it that I could do it left-handed 
Because there's sometimes where you just were too lazy to like move things around and so you just have to get in there with your left hand. And so it was, it became natural, it became instinctive that after months and months of doing this day after day after day, hour after hour after hour, it becomes natural, it becomes instinctive, it becomes part of you. And this is how it is with love. The more that we practice love, the more loving we become, the more it becomes instinctive, the more you can even do it with your left hand. Sorry to discriminate against left-handed people. (laughs) Let's talk briefly then about what love isn't. This is point two. I'm not going to spend much time on the negative descriptions of love because if you actually start living out the positive behaviors of love, you won't need to worry too much about what love is not. What you'll find over time is that if you grow to become more patient and kind and rejoicing in the truth and protective and trusting and hopeful and persevering, you'll find actually all these negative descriptions just disappearing from your life quite naturally. And so we're only even going to focus on one of these in detail from the list of eight descriptions of what love is not. Because just like impatience leads to unkindness, uh, this one right in the middle, self-seeking, leads to all the other negative ones on the list. And so a self-seeking person becomes envious. A self-seeking person becomes boastful, proud, dishonoring of others, easily angered, record-keeping, delighting in evil. Self-centeredness sort of unlocks all the other negative descriptions. And when I think of a self-seeking person, I can't help but think of seagulls. I know many of you, um, you know, when you think of seagulls, it conjures up wonderful memories of beachside vacations as a child. But just try living with them constantly. When we were living in uh, Liverpool, England, which is a coastal city, by the way, uh, there was never a moment when you were outside or even inside when a seagull was not present. They'd be outside your windows screaming at you. Uh, in fact, I, I did some research, uh, I did some counting, and there were more seagulls in Liverpool than oxygen molecules. <laughs> and every day, I used to walk past this fast food chain on my way to and from work, and every morning, uh, for more than a year, without fail, I would see a seagull outside this little fast food restaurant with its beak and a bag of potato chips. And this happened every single day for more than a year. And I always thought it was just because people would go in, buy their meal, and then litter the empty bag of chips on the ground, and then the seagull would, do they have tongues? I don't know, try to lick the crumbs out. But then one day a video started circulating on social media from one of the workers in that fast food place of a seagull sneaking into the shop, grabbing a bag of chips, and running out. And the comment below the video said this, Uh, This same seagull comes in every single day and does this, and we can't stop it. (laughs) They they had, you know those like doors that open, that slide open automatically? So the seagull would go up, trip the sensor, the door would open, it would run in, grab the bag of chips right by the door and run out. And this is just one of many horror stories I could tell you about seagulls. I actually once lost an entire breakfast sandwich and almost a pair of sunglasses to a seagull. Um, That's another story for another day. A seagull is an evil, self-seeking creature that has never once done a kind or loving action. If God were to allow me to rewrite part of the Bible, I would say, could we please go back to Genesis 3? And Satan comes as a seagull. Now, the word that Paul uses here for self-seeking, it's, all, it's not quite that forceful. I'm playing it up a little bit, but it's almost that forceful. It could be to demand or to strive for the self. 
The older translations say, love seeks not its own. And what Paul is getting at here is that the person who is growing in self-denying love is a person who does not grasp for or demand their own rights, their own preferences, their own desires. Instead of thinking about themselves, they're always thinking of the good of another. Now, do you see why self-seeking is the key to unlocking all these negative descriptions of love? This is why a non-loving person is envious. They selfishly want what does not belong to them. This is why they're boastful and proud. They selfishly want notoriety and recognition. This is why somebody who doesn't love in this way would dishonor others. It's a way of uh, attempting to bring honor to themselves. When things don't go their way, they're angry and they keep a record of who wronged them. But like I said before, you can focus on the positive descriptions of love and begin to practice those behaviors and these negative ones will begin to flee from your life because think about it. A person who is kind can't also be dishonoring of another person at the same time. A person who rejoices with the truth can't also delight in evil. You can't do both at the same time. A person who always protects can't also be envious. So, Let's take a big step back now and let's look at the person who loves this way. Uh, look down, glance over verses four to seven again. Just look at them again. And think about a person who has all the positives and none of the negatives. And don't you want to be loved by this person? And don't you want to be this person? This is the reason most of the world seems to respect and accept this chapter of the Bible as truth. Because look at the love you can receive if you're loved by this person. Or look at who you become if you can live it out. You become patient. You become kind. You become the kind of person who rejoices in the successes of others rather than envious of them. You become humble. You become respectful of others rather than dishonoring. You become peaceful rather than angry. You become forgiving and no longer hold grudges. You become more truthful, more trusting, more hopeful, more persevering. And don't you want to be loved that way? And don't you want to be that person? Well, if you were here a few weeks ago, you remember a little exercise I put us through. Um, and you can put the next slide up. Because what if you put your name into the passage instead of the word love? And it's not too long before you realize it doesn't describe you very well. But here's where Christian love becomes distinct from all other loves. And this is point three, why Christian love is distinct from all other loves. If you were here a couple weeks ago, do you remember who this passage does describe? That when Paul wrote these words, it can only be Jesus Christ that he has in mind. Because remember what happens if we replace the word love with Jesus. Go ahead and put that up. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then if you go on to verse 8, Jesus never fails. 
And doesn't that ring true? That if you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, of course it rings true that Jesus is patient and kind and not envious or proud or boastful, that he's always protective, always trusting, always hopeful. He persevered all the way to the point of death on a cross. And so this is where point three really comes in because what we could not possibly ever do, Jesus Christ did to perfection. Christian love is distinct from all other loves because it's modeled after Christ. In 1 John 4, the Apostle John says that God is love. And Jesus Christ from all eternity is God. And he has experienced the perfect self-giving, self-denying love within the Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so therefore, Jesus Christ, when he comes to earth, he is love incarnate. Which means everything that he did in heaven before he came to earth, everything he did on the earth when he was here, and everything that he does today in heaven was and is motivated by love because he himself is love. Now here's the incredible thing about the love of Christ. This is what makes it distinctly Christian. Who do you think Paul has in mind to be loved in this passage? Who are we supposed to practice this love for? And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Who do you want to be impatient with? An impatient person. Who do you want to be unkind to? An unkind person. Who do you want to dishonor? Someone who's dishonored you. In other words, Paul is talking about a love that is expressed not to a person who deserves it, but to a person who least deserves it. Not a lovely or lovable person, but an unlovely, unlovable person. It's all well and good to love another patient person, another kind person, another humble person, a peaceful person. That person is very lovable. You get along great with them. But to love an impatient person, to actually be patient with them, to love an unkind person, to be kind to them, to love a proud one, an angry one, that's another story. That person is unlovely. And so when is it that you're exercising the most amount of love? The reality is we are the most loving when we love the unlovely. We are exercising the most amount of love when we love the person who doesn't deserve the love. And this is what makes Christian love distinct from all other loves because it is precisely when humankind, you and I, were least deserving, least lovable, that Jesus Christ exercised the most amount of love possible. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in, in Romans chapter 5. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did Jesus Christ give his life? When did he give his body over to torture and death? It was while we were still sinners. Jesus Christ practiced the most amount of love possible precisely at the moment that we didn't deserve it. And so what this means is the love of Christ and therefore distinctly Christian love is self-originating, which means the reason for the love has nothing to do with the object of the love. 
The reason for the love comes not because the object of the love is lovely in any way. You know, when a person first says, I love you, to their boyfriend or girlfriend, at least some of that love, maybe at that time, probably the majority of that love, is actually excited by the loveliness of the other person. Their wonderful eyes. Their great sense of humor. The way they buy things for you. Whatever it is. But God loves what's unlovely. God loves people who, gives, who give him no reason to love them. He actually loves those who rejected him, who live day by day outside of his commands and his desires. God who is love, who in practice is patient and kind and not envious and not boastful or proud, who is not self-seeking, who does not delight in evil, God who always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. He completely and utterly loves those who are impatient and unkind and proud and self-seeking and who delight in evil. This is what makes Christian love distinctive from all other loves because it's self-originating. God's love for you is self-originating. If you, by the way, if you were to ask God why he loves you, do you know what he would say to you? Because I do. That's why. It's self-originating. And so when you put this kind of love into practice, guess what? That makes you like Christ. When you begin to love like Jesus Christ, your love begins to become self-originating. And practicing this kind of love over and over, day after day after day, is what matures you as a Christian, is what actually turns your love from being motivated by what the other person can give to you to self-originating. Because this is the love of Christ. The love of Christ is self-originating, self-giving love. Now, at the beginning, we said that if we really attempt to put this kind of love into action, it's pretty quickly that we want to throw our hands up in the air because we don't feel like loving in this way. Uh, we might even have a desire, we might want to love in this way, but when the time comes, actually put it into practice with a person who really, really doesn't deserve it. The feelings usually aren't there, are they? And so what are we to do? Well, I'll say it again, when I said at the beginning, it's a lot easier to act your way toward feelings than it is to feel your way towards actions. Feelings follow actions. And let me just return briefly to an idea that we started with, that none of what Paul has said thus far has to do with feelings. He doesn't mention feelings here. These are all behaviors. And so here's the point. It's nearly impossible to feel our way towards self-denying love. You don't want to do it. You don't feel like doing it. It's nearly impossible. Most of the time, we won't feel like it. And even if we do, those feelings fade very quickly. And so it's much easier to act our way towards self-denying love. And you'll find the more that you behave, the more that you live out this kind of love, the more and more you'll find yourself naturally wanting to do it. You'll actually begin to enjoy it. So how do we get to that? How do we get from where we are to enjoying it? The joy that comes from becoming a, a truly self-denying, loving person with self-originating love. It seems from this passage that you only get there by practice. 
And so looking at paintings doesn't make someone a painter. I've looked at a lot of them. Listening to music doesn't make someone a musician. I listen to music all the time. You heard my skills. You have to pick up the brush and put it, dip it in some paint and put it on the canvas. You have to sit down at the piano and you have to strike some keys and you have to do it over and over and over and over again until it becomes second nature. And so in the same way, we can love by no other way than by putting it into practice. And when we do, when we begin to do that, imagine the impact, imagine the impact in your family. Imagine the impact in your friendships, in your marriage. Imagine the impact in our city if a church like ours can practice this distinctly Christian, self-originating, self-giving love. Imagine what people would say about Christians and the church. If we can continue to grow in our practice of this kind of love, then there really is no end to what God could do in our, our relationships and in our city. Uh, and that's the kind of church we're talking about becoming. I don't think we are that church yet, but that's the kind of church we want to become. Uh, so let me pray for you and for us uh, as we begin to try to practice this kind of love. Our Father, we need your help. Uh, there's no way that we can practice this kind of love on our own. Uh, we absolutely need your help. Thank you for the example. Thank you for the model. Uh, but Lord, would you help us to, to love others with this self-denying love? And Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us, it would become second nature. Over time, Lord, it would become natural that we would, we would just do this without even thinking about it. That our actions would become loving. And Lord, that would just be because that's who we've become. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.